Welcome to the UK Column. Uh, today, I'm joined by Chris Williamson, uh, former Labour Party MP, uh, colleague of Jeremy Corbyn, uh, and uh, long-time anti-war campaigner. Uh, welcome to the programme. Uh, Chris, how are you doing? Thanks, Mike. Yeah, not too bad at all. Thanks very much indeed. I've just been blowing the leaves off the drive. We're inundated. With... <laughs> it's nice to have the trees around us, but uh, in the autumn time, it's a bit of a nightmare. Yes. <laughs> I've been spending an hour trying to clear leaves off the drive, but there we are. Okay, well, good. Uh, now you have uh, you were in London over the weekend, of course, for the oh. uh, for the demonstration, uh, and uh, yeah. this uh, had the potential to be uh, a problematic day uh, for the reasons that we've discussed on the UK column news. But uh, first of all, um, how was the demonstration itself from the uh, Palestinian side? Well, it was an unprecedented turnout, wasn't it? I mean, we've heard various estimates as to the number of people who attended, but it certainly felt like the biggest demonstration that I've ever been involved with. And I think it's certainly the largest expression of support for the Palestinian people um, in the history, actually, of demonstrations uh, on this topic. So it went off, uh, from my perspective, incredibly well. Um, I was there with the Workers' Party. We, we had an impromptu stand and we made... Uh, speeches from there, which was which were well received. But the uh, the feeling, I think, of solidarity with the Palestinian Palestinian people was was incredibly strong. And uh, as I say, the numbers were, were, were enormous. Brian and I were uh, at the event the previous Saturday. And uh, despite the, the headlines in the mainstream press, the point that we were trying to make uh, following that um, was that, in fact, the main concern of people that were there uh, was that there should be a ceasefire. And uh, certainly even the BBC was having to acknowledge that the main chanting that was going on was ceasefire now. Is that is that your experience as well? Yeah, look, people, people are horrified by the fact that a genocide is taking place and it's being per per perpetrated by um, a, a British ally and the political class in this country are doing nothing about it. And, uh, you know, they could uh, be stressing the importance of a, of a ceasefire. They could be using their influence on the UN Security Council, but far from doing that, they've actually used their ability to veto the resolution that was put forward to the UN Security Council to call for a, a ceasefire. And so there's never been, I think, a bigger disconnect between the political class across the political spectrum, Labour to Conservative. Uh, never been a bigger disconnect between those politicians sitting in the Houses of Parliament and the people at large. In the very week that the UK used its veto alongside the United States of America to stop that resolution calling for a ceasefire, a poll was undertaken which suggested that 76% of the public wanted to see a ceasefire. And I suspect that figure has only increased in the intervening period. I mean, how could anybody actually, in, in all consciousness, uh, be against a ceasefire when we're seeing the horrific images on a daily basis, hospitals being bombed, bakeries being uh, shelled, uh, missiles being fired at schools, and indeed even people who were following Israeli instructions to move south were then being straffed and missiles being fired at them uh, on, on, the, on the road. Uh, even a, a medical convoy uh, with sick uh, and injured people was attacked by the Zionist entity. I mean, it's an absolutely shocking and appalling state of affairs. And and frankly, in my opinion, and I've made this very clear on a number of occasions, that Israel has forfeited the right to exist. Actually, I mean, it's uh, it, I mean, this is this is a an entity which has engaged in 
terrorism and oppression ever since it was created in 1948. And it was created on the back of expelling 750,000 Palestinian people. Many others were massacred. And then they expanded their territory in 1967. And they've continued the illegal occupations um, and uh, evictions uh, from, of, of Palestinian people from their homes ever since. They're in breach of numerous international uh, uh, laws which have been, been passed and resolutions against them, but they just seem to just carry on with impunity. But that, I think, is because they're given a free pass by the United States and indeed by, United, by the United Kingdom. Frankly, the Western world, uh, you know, or, or the leaders of the Western world anyway, are absolutely complicit in this genocide. And, uh, you know, they, they really shame themselves, That's, you know, right across Europe, United Kingdom and uh, the United States as well. For me, there's a, a, a hypocrisy in this uh, because uh, the, the UK, the US, the EU have been very, very clear that in their view, uh, the behaviour of uh, Russia in Ukraine uh, justifies sanctions, it justifies uh, criticism uh, and so on, and uh, their demands for Russia to, to end its action in Ukraine, its intervention in Ukraine. Uh, and yet there's, as you say, silence on what Israel is doing in Gaza. Uh, and in the West Bank, for that matter. Um, I saw a video clip of, of uh, uh, Ursula von der Leyen being uh, harangued in the European Parliament uh, on, on this basis. And really, that is, was a very, fairly justified position, it seems to me. I mean, but, but I think of, of concern is the fact that it doesn't seem to matter which side of the political spectrum you're on in the UK at the moment. Uh, the political leadership is determined to support Israel and what it's doing. Yes, indeed. As I was just saying, I mean, you know, the uh, the blank check that they've given to the Israeli regime. I mean, it, it's quite despicable, frankly. And you know, you talk about hypocrisy, a breathtaking hypocrisy. No, no question about that. I mean, the double standards uh, that they are applying when we're talking about the situation in in Ukraine and the situation in, in Gaza. I mean, you know, it couldn't be starker. And frankly. I mean, my position in relation to Ukraine anyway is that you know, this is a NATO proxy war. And indeed, Russia had a, you know, a much stronger arguable case for intervening uh, under the, uh, the uh, uh, duty to uh, protect a kind of UN um, protocol, um, responsibility to, to protect the citizens of Donbass who had been attacked for the, you know, the previous eight years after the US and the United Kingdom and the EU backed a coup in uh, Kiev uh, and installed a puppet regime and then they almost immediately banned the Russian language in a country where one in three people, uh, Russian is their first language, uh, and, and basically started a civil war and uh, 14,000 people perished in that, in that intervening period and Zelensky's troops were, were massing on the border of Donbass for a major offensive uh, led by, let's remember, uh, literal Nazis in the Azov uh, battalion. Um, you know, just before the um, Russian special military operation occurred. NATO completely spurned the uh, attempt that Russia made in December of 2021, where they put forward a peace and security proposal uh, to ensure that, you know, peace and security in Europe was was, was maintained. And uh, they just didn't even give it the time of day, didn't just, just dismissed it out of, out of hand. And, you know, over a long period of time, Russia made it very clear that uh, uh, Ukraine becoming a member of, of NATO was, was an absolute red line. And let's also remember that the uh, US fledged to uh, Mikhail Gorbachev if he agreed to German reunification, 
that the you know NATO would not expand one inch was the precise terminology that they used would not expand one inch uh, eastward you know beyond the uh, the German border and yet it virtually doubled in size. So I think there are two two very different conflicts going on. But the hypocrisy, having said that, of course, uh, where as you say you know imposing uh, sanctions and uh, uh, giving. You know, untold support, military support, financial support, um, support in terms of uh, accepting uh, you know, re- refugees fleeing the hostilities in Ukraine, compared to what we're seeing uh, in uh, in Gaza right now. And of course, let's remember what's happening in the West Bank as well. I mean, you know, uh, I think the last figure I saw is about 170 or so Palestinians. Nothing in the scale, of course, but you know, nevertheless. 170 odd Palestinians have perished at the hands of the military, the Israeli military, and of course the, uh, the very aggressive uh, uh, illegal settlers there, the Israeli settlers who have been engaging in pogroms against the uh, the Palestinian people, beatings and uh, you know daily humiliations. We've even seen situations, haven't we, where uh, Palestinians who've been killed by either. Israeli military or, or settlers, I'm not sure whom, but anyway, then we saw uh, them urinating on, on the dead bodies. I mean, it's absolutely shocking behaviour uh, and all sorts of other humiliations of, of being inflicted on the Palestinian uh, people right across um, the West Bank. And of course, what we're seeing in, in, in Gaza right now is, is, this, is this shocking and dreadful um, genocide. And that's why I say Israel's forfeited the right to exist. It's this disregarded international law. It's disregarded all norms of, of humanity and, and decency. It's engaged in, in a genocide. It, it, you know, it's, it's the worst form of apartheid. And this is not simply me saying that. This is ANC veterans. You know, people as esteemed as uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who said that the apartheid regime in uh, in Palestine, Israel, is considerably worse than anything that, that you know they had to contend with in South Africa. And the world turned on on South Africa, and uh, you know, ultimately, with the with the pressure from within, the effectiveness of the ANC, the African National Congress, and and the pressure from without, you know, with sanctions and so on and so forth. Ultimately, that regime t- was toppled, and that's what we need to see with uh, the situation in Palestine, Israel, right now, because uh, this this is an unsustainable situation, and there is a massive disconnect. We've made this point already. It's worth re-emphasizing, though. There's a massive disconnect between the political class right across Europe, right across the United Kingdom, and indeed in the United States of America, between the political leaders and the public. The public at large are absolutely horrified and are overwhelmingly in support of the Palestinian people, although you wouldn't know that by, if you read or, or relied on the, on the corporate media. And then if you then look at the rest of the world, in particularly in the global south, you know, the support is absolutely phenomenal. And we're also seeing steps being taken now with uh, with nations like Bolivia, uh, South Africa, I think, has announced this as well, withdrawing uh, their uh, their ambassadors, you know, their diplomats, and they're breaking off diplomatic relations uh, with Israel. It has to be isolated. This regime has to fall. This whole system has to be dismantled, and a completely new entity uh, has to be brought in. It seems to me to take its place. Um, okay, I'd like to. Uh have a look, uh, discuss with you a little bit uh, some of the events in the UK over the last couple of weeks. Um, we have seen uh, the uh, ramping up of tension around Armistice Day and Remembrance Sunday with respect to the Armistice Day in particular and the, and the march on Saturday. Um, and yeah. it seemed to me that that, that uh, tension was being ramped up, not by the usual 
including the usual voices on Twitter and so on, but but actually by the mainstream press uh, and by uh, mainstream politicians. Uh, of course, uh, Swella Breverman being uh, one of them, and of course she's lost her job this morning. Uh, but yes. uh, it seemed to me that uh, there has been a concerted effort to build a narrative in the UK of a uh, burgeoning far right um, and the uh, facing off of um, this far right with uh, uh, the left in politics is something that, that has been uh, a narrative that's been building. Uh, and I just wanted to get your comments on what you think uh, or whether Suella Breverman absolutely crossed a line or not in what she did over the last couple of weeks and whether the mainstream press is complicit in that. Oh, most certainly. I think that's that's unquestionably. You know, it's pretty clear that she crossed the line even for Rishi Sunak, who's you know given his unqualified support to the Israeli regime uh, when she wrote that inflammatory uh, article. I think it was in the Times newspaper, um, and I think that there was a pressure applied to her to tone it down, and she refused to do so. Utterly irresponsible, it seems to me, uh, what we've seen from the likes of Suella Braverman. Uh, and the the mainstream media, they've really kind of been build, building this up into something which you know could lead to very serious violence. I mean, there were some confrontations with with far right extremists uh, on on Saturday, very limited. I didn't actually say any myself, but I have seen some video footage of them taking place, and I think um, Tommy Robinson's uh, confederates were. Attempting, I don't quite know what they were planning to do, but trying to storm the the cenotaph, uh, and all the nonsense which was fed into the media and the way in which the media, you know, portrayed this whole narrative that somehow this was, you know, disrespectful and that somehow, you know, this were, you know, there would be groups of uh, Palestinian campaigners going and and sort of desecrating the uh, the cenotaph. Complete nonsense. That that was never, in my opinion, ever going to uh, happen. But look, I mean, to suggest in some way that you know marching for a ceasefire in support of of, of an oppressed people was uh, in some way offensive to and disrespectful to the uh, Armistice Day and disrespectful to the memory of people you know served and and lost their lives. In, in two world wars and other other conflicts thereafter, in some you know that in some way that was disrespectful. It's, it's absolute nonsense. I mean, my opinion was, and what I made very clear publicly was that there's never actually a more appropriate day to march for a ceasefire than on Armistice Day, because you know what is the very definition of armistice? It's basically it's to call for a ceasefire. It's when you know when hostilities came to an end in the First World War. That's what it uh, commemorates. And surely there is no more appropriate thing to do, therefore, than to actually march for a ceasefire on Armistice Day. Goodness me. I mean, like, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, 1984 sort of propaganda. This is just absurd. And the way that was used to, as I say, try and, you know, whip up uh, emotions. Uh, and it did lead, I think, to, uh, as a consequence of that, uh, to these... Um, albeit thankfully limited, uh, violent uh, occurrences. But there's been other examples, haven't there, where, you know, you've got the police been arresting people for having a Palestinian flag. People have been thrown out of football grounds for wearing a Palestinian T-shirt. Um, police have even visited people's own home when they've had a Palestinian flag in the window. What on earth are we doing when, you know, a country that used to pride itself on, on free speech is, you know, using the instruments of the state 
to clamp down on people who are standing up for an oppressed, uh, uh, you know, an oppressed um, people. It, it's, 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 I, you know, I can't get my head around it. Where are we going? This is like some sort of uh, tin pot dictatorship. And, you know, we absolutely, it seems to me, have to, you know, resist this. And one of the other things I was calling for on the weekend in, in my impromptu speech as the marches were going by is that, you know, ultimately we will need a mass campaign of civil disobedience. This cannot be allowed to stand, this, this, this direction of travel that we're seeing our political class and indeed supported, aided, they're bettered by the corporate media. This cannot be allowed. You know, this is Britain and we, will, we must not tolerate it. Uh, and that's why I think you know it's important that we do we do stand up, stand in solidarity, uh, you know, with each other and in, and together with the with the Palestinian people. And we, you know, as we're a football supporters, I can say, I you know, I again I've said this publicly as well. We need to be, you know, taking a book, uh, taking a leaf out of the book of the of the Celtic fans, who show their unqualified support for, for <clears throat> excuse me, the Palestinian people, with an absolute uh, you know mass of of Palestinian flags at their Football games, that, that's the way to go, it seems to me, because, uh, you know, this is, uh, a, a, you know, a falling tragedy that is happening in real time. And, you know, our politicians have the ability, have the power to to end it, and they're not doing anything to actually make, bring that about. It's interesting you say that. How do, how do we, because clearly this, this issue is extremely divisive, um, and so how do we get people to focus on the human tragedy of what's going on uh, rather than the... Uh, the, the, whatever their particular ideology might be. Well, I mean, like, yeah, you say it's divisive, and I think that you know there, it, it has created division. However, the overwhelming majority, in my opinion, of people do see the reality of the situation and are increasingly expressing their solidarity and support for the Palestinian people. And that was obviously evidenced by the number of people that turned out on the street in London at the weekend. It's also been evidenced by the numbers of people who have been expressing solidarity through rallies uh, and marches in towns and cities all over the country. And I think what we need to therefore do is, is kind of build on that, uh, acknowledge that, celebrate that, but also uh, ensure that you know, we are spreading the reality of what is happening on the ground. And there's plenty of evidence for what is happening on the ground, thanks to what platforms like yours, of course, but other independent uh, platforms and, and social media in general, where people are recording the, the absolute horror that is being visited on the Palestinian people, thanks to the event of smartphones and so on. They're uploading this onto the internet, although obviously the Israeli regime has done its best to limit the ability to access the, the internet. But those images are still coming out. People are seeing the reality of it and seeing the hospitals being attacked, the schools being attacked, the numbers of children being killed, the horrendous, appalling injuries that are, that are happening on a daily basis. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, the more people see the reality, the more people will come to realise that this has got to stop, it's got to come to an end, and they need to be supporting the Palestinian people. They need to be getting behind the calls for a ceasefire. And ultimately, I hope, getting behind the calls for uh, the dismantling of the uh, Israeli regime. The Israeli, you know, the Israel project needs to needs to end because, it, you know, it, it's, it's absolutely demonstrated that it, it is a, a rogue state that, uh, you know, is, is guilty of, of committing the most horrendous crimes against humanity. I can accept uh, your point about uh, the um, 
horrendous crimes against humanity. Absolutely with you 100% on that. My question is, um, if we're if we're talking about taking it further than just a, a change of the regime in Israel, um, if you're talking about dismantling the whole country, what what do you think replaces it or what can replace it? And, and what happens to the people that are there? A single state, a single state with equal rights for everybody. I mean, we've got a situation where there's apartheid in the country. I mean, most most uh, Palestinian people that you know can't vote. I mean, in um, Israeli elections, uh, you know, we we have a system of um, you know, as I've said, apartheid. But you know, certain roads only only Jews are allowed to drive on those roads, or Israeli citizens anyway. Um, you know, the people living in the West Bank, etc., are stopped from from doing so. I was talking to some Palestinians who who live in the West Bank uh, just yesterday, in fact, and uh, you know, they were telling me about some of the daily indignities and inconveniences that are that are you know they they have to contend with. Um, and you know potential risks that they you know that they are uh, facing on a daily basis. Um, so yes, well that's the way to go. I think. I mean, look. I mean, I think in any event. I mean, Israel is is imploding. Um, prior to the latest Palestinian uprising, there was a poll for Channel Thirteen, an Israeli TV channel, that suggested that twenty eight percent of the Israeli population were considering leaving the country. That number was massively increased. I'm not seeing any figures, but it must have massively increased since the the latest. Um, uh, uprising and the um, you know the the conflict which has which has happened since that time, uh, you know, over the intervening uh, last four weeks or so, um, the Israeli people will no longer, I think, or many of them anyway, feel feel safer. I mean, and, you know, the likes of Netanyahu who say you know Jews should come to to Israel because that's the only place that they, you know they're safe. Well, clearly that isn't the case, is it? So, you know, I think there's pressure from within. The economy is uh, struggling now as well. Uh, there's definitely uh, a pressure building from without, and the resistance on the ground, of course, is also considerably better organised and better equipped than it's than it's ever been. And they're never going to uh, destroy Hamas. Uh, that is an impossibility. In fact, if anything, they've strengthened the cause of the resistance, which isn't just Hamas anyway. It's all of the resistance factions are collaborating together. You know, you don't defeat. An idea, an ideal, by violence. All that does is it acts as a recruiting sergeant. And just think of all those children that have been killed. Think of all those children that have been orphaned, and the resentment that that will inevitably create. And you know, more and more people, I think, will be radicalised by the uh, Israelis' uh, actions rather than do anything to quell the resistance to what is an unjust system. I mean, and, you know, I very much believe in uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, maxim when he said, you know, that the arc of, uh, of the human uh, justice is long, but in the end, sorry, the arc of uh, human, um, my goodness, I've forgotten the, the, the quote now, but basically he said in the end it's uh, it bends towards justice. And I think uh, ultimately the, um, the Palestinian people uh, will get justice because, you know, they their cause is a right cause. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have to support them in that endeavour. I mean, I, t- I absolutely take your point. I've heard this from other people as well uh, about a single state with equal rights for all. This seems like a, an excellent uh, suggestion. Uh, the difficulty I have with it is that there doesn't seem to be any any support for that in the international community. So China, Russia, for example, are talking about a two-state solution. So, so how, do, how does the... How does the idea of a single uh, state 
um, get some traction without the support of um, the, the likes of Russia, China, and other international uh, uh, interests? Well, I think for the reasons I've already outlined, that uh, you know Israel is beginning to uh, implode in any event. Uh, there's a lot of opposition to the uh, Israeli regime from its own population. Uh, many people are leaving. Many people are you know dual dual uh, citizens, so they are leaving the, the, the country in any event. So you know it just it, the ability for it to to continue and function as a state is 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 going to be problematic for them. There is a very strong, um, there's a very strong uh, resistance faction on on the ground now, which you know is, is is creating, you know, huge enormous problems, headaches for the Israeli regime. And I think that you know, given what people have seen, you know, these horrors that have been visited on the Palestinian people, uh, that the political class ultimately, I think, will 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 have to acknowledge that this can't go on and that their people, you know, won't tolerate that. You know, the electorate, I think, will will push for, um, you know, people who want to see peace around the world. And, you know, a lot of the uh, the problems that we have in the world, you know, can be traced back to the, you know, the turmoil in the Middle East and the, you know, the need for a, uh, a, a different system to be put in place, I think, will be, will be something that, you know, increasing numbers of people recognize and, uh, I think that the, uh, the politicians will be will be forced kicking and screaming actually to if need be to you know push for uh, an alternative. But look, I mean, at one point in time, you know, South African the South African regime seemed to be you know impervious to to change. Um, you know, Nelson Mandela jailed for all those years. The, the likelihood of of any change seemed impossible. They were supported by and aided and abetted by the very self same players which are supporting and aiding and abetting. The Israeli regime today, but ultimately, you know, things things changed, and uh, you know, changed from the bottom. I think to a large extent because of pressure from from below, from huge campaigns. And I, you know, I hope and believe that that is something that we can bring about, um, you know, with regard to situation as far as Israel is concerned. I mean, look, obviously, the, the getting a ceasefire is the first thing that's needed, but. Uh, if that's all that happens, then you know the apartheid system remains in place, and um, you know nothing really substantially changes, uh, and that is an unsustainable situation, particularly when you've got you know these illegal settlements uh, with the settlers who are incredibly uh, violent and uh, effectively mounting regular pogroms against the, the Palestinian. People, you know, the house demolitions, the, the the occupations, you know, the way in which people are evicted from their homes and then replaced with new with new settlers. I mean, this is all that's all going to continue if all we get is a ceasefire. A ceasefire is the first and most pressing thing, of course, that we need to push for. But uh, ultimately, we, we need a uh, a more sustainable uh, system to be uh, implemented there, which you know delivers the equal rights that I think everybody who with a with a fair mind and, and an open heart, would want to see and believe should be a human, basic human right. So the question then is, do you think uh, if, if the internal pressures are, uh, as they seem to be in, in Israel, uh, if um, the support of the UK, the US and the EU was withdrawn, perhaps they, that, that regime may fall? 
Yeah, with, so, without without the support of the United States of America and the you know the blank check that they're given from uh, you know the likes of the United Kingdom and the European Union, clearly Israel wouldn't be able to uh, sustain itself. I mean, they, they receive like uh, is it four, nearly four billion dollars a year in uh, in subsidies from the uh, United States of America, and uh, the House of Representatives, I think it was last week, voted to uh, give them. Uh, I think it was a fourteen billion. Pound additional slug of of, of uh, dollars, should we say, a slug of uh, of money. Um, but yeah, I mean, and obviously they sold arms and so on. They did lots of um, uh, collaboration uh, with uh, certainly with the United Kingdom on a range of different uh, uh, areas of the economy. So without that support, if they were isolated in that way, then then of course they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be able to sustain themselves. No, no doubt in my mind about that. And that's why we need to be bringing pressure on the political class to take these appropriate moral steps to bring that pressure on the Israeli regime to, to bring about a, you know, a fair settlement. So the, the issue here is, of course, that there is no uh, political opposition to what Israel's doing on any side of the House at the moment. So uh, really, it's up to the voter to, to what, suggest to Keir Starmer that if he really wants to be in government next time round, he needs to come back onto uh, an anti-war footing, as as perhaps the Labour Party has uh, represented in the past. Well, I think that's yes, ideally, but I think that's highly unlikely because Keir Starmer has made it clear that he is uh, that supports Zionism without qualification. So the, the, you know, the chances of the Labour Party, uh, you know, being the vehicle, I think, are are very limited, indeed, almost sort of impossible to see that happening. Now, there's apparently a motion before the House of Commons on. Uh, Wednesday, um, an SNP uh, motion has been put down calling for an immediate uh, ceasefire and um, told that the, and in fact it's been reported, that the uh, whips, the Labour whips, are instructing Labour MPs to vote it down, vote against it. So, uh, you know, the chances of, of, of Labour, I mean, I think it's going to probably require some sort of new electoral vehicle, which, you know, is obviously not, not easy, but, uh, you know, is something that we um, have to strive for. And um, yeah, I mean, and uh, yeah, because as I say, I mean, just to, to that, that Martin Luther King quote has come back to me, the arc of the moral universe is long, but in the end it bends towards justice. And part of delivering that justice, I think, will be, you know, a new political settlement probably in this country and, you know, in, in, in other nations around the world to ensure that, um, you know, we, we get politicians in power who, who actually, you know, believe in peace and, and use their position to to deliver that you know to deliver a, to deliver a kind of fairer world i mean this is of course one of the things that jeremy corbyn was targeted for because you know he was somebody who was promoting peace and disarmament and appointed a shadow minister for peace and disarmament and you know we uh, had had labor won the election we would have had a permanent seat as you know on the un security council promoting peace and disarmament around the world instead of uh, war and arms sales, and that was, of course, unconscionable to the uh, military-industrial complex, and that was one of the many vested interests that were determined to ensure that uh, a, um, a prime minister, uh, you know, wouldn't come to power who was in favour of peace and uh, and disarmament, and in favour of, uh, you know, a, a, an equitable settlement in the in Palestine, where you know Palestinian people were were treated with with respect and that uh, Israel would you know would be called out by you know a very influential uh, politician um you know if uh, 
if uh, the United States of America are Israel's number one ally, well, Britain is certainly very close behind. And, you know, that's why he, he came under such enormous pressure, amongst many other things as well, of course. But I think that was the thing that did him more damage than, than almost anything else. Um, I'd just like to uh, touch, if we could, on uh, the interview that, that you had with Julia Hartley Brewer last week, because, uh, you know, we were talking yeah. earlier on in the, in the interview with uh, about the the uh, mainstream media um, ramping up tensions between uh, various opinions around this topic uh, and but what she seemed to be expressing was was real anger do you think that was real or was it was it a, a, a something that was a, a bit of an act i don't know whether it was confected or whether it was real i mean she certainly plays to a certain demographic i think in society and was she, she's part of the irresponsible uh, you know journalistic uh, classes if you like that were you know ramping up those those tensions and you know, people like her find it impossible to tolerate anybody who is speaking against the received wisdom, the received narrative that um, the mainstream media, the corporate media, has been has been promulgating in relation to the situation in Gaza. Um, you know, it's all about you know Hamas or or, or or evil savage terrorists but you know when we now know and more information has, has, has come out about what happened on october the 7th that many if not most of the people who died on that day were killed by if you like so-called friendly fire but killed by uh, the israeli occupation forces uh, the uh, people who were killed in the buildings on the kibbutz were killed by tank shells. Uh, we know that Hamas didn't have any tanks. They haven't got any tanks at all. They certainly didn't have any tanks on that day. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, people who were killed in the cars, they, they were uh, victims of a missile strikes from Apache helicopters and many of the other people were killed in, in crossfire uh, because there were Israeli occupation forces uh, at, at that location, and they opened fire, and, the, and you know many people were killed in the crossfire. Now, that isn't just you know Hamas propaganda; that is something which you know is being reported in the Israeli media. It's rather ironic, actually, that you get a more accurate picture uh, from the Israeli media about what is happening than we do in the British corporate media. And people like Julia Holly Brewer don't seem to be you know willing to listen to the uh, you know, the, uh, an alternative to, to the reality about about what's happening. I mean, and you know, this notion that somehow you know Hamas are you know beyond the pale um, ignores the fact that I mean, I think it's 2017. They they accepted a two-state solution. I mean, you know, it's more moderate than what I've just been saying. Um, they accepted a two-state solution within the uh, pre-1967 borders. They said they wouldn't recognise Israel, but they would accept that that two-state uh, solution. Um, but you know, to uh, listen to the likes of Julie Hyde Brewer, I mean, that, 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 or indeed any media, I don't think I've heard any media actually, you know, making that clear that that is the reality of the situation. And nor have they spoken about the so-called Hannibal Directive, which is an official protocol that's been adopted by the Israeli military, whereby they, if necessary, will kill their own people in order to stop people being taken prisoner, being taken hostage. And it seems to me, it looks like anyway that the Hannibal Directive was uh, implemented on October the seventh, and so I think it's important, you know, that we that we 
talk about these realities. Um, and it's helpful that the Israeli military, sorry, the Israeli media are actually reporting on these facts. And uh, you know, the more I think that people, you know, hear the reality of the situation, the, you know, the more they come to the view that the situation is unsustainable and that uh, the uh, the genocide has to come to an end, and that a new settlement has to be put into place to to you know replace the present unsustainable situation which is a stain on humanity. I just want to uh, ask you about the, the potential of this escalating regionally and, and obviously internationally. Uh, here in the UK, Suella Braverman has gone as Home Secretary. James Cleverly has been moved across uh, to, the, to that role. We don't know who the new Foreign Secretary is going to be, but the rumour is it might be David Cameron. Uh, I'm not seeing anybody being placed in positions or names being suggested who may want to calm this down. Uh, and of course, with more and more uh, Western um, military presence, whether it be naval or whatever in the region, um, this has the potential to, to escalate, it seems to me, quite significantly. I mean, what are your thoughts on this and how do we prevent it? Well, it certainly does have the potential to um, expand to a wider conflagration indeed has the, the potential to spark a third world war with the United States sailing its uh, ships into the Mediterranean, its uh, aircraft carriers and so on. Um, the, the potential, I think, for other players to become involved in, I think, is still real. Um, uh, Hezbollah, uh, already there's been some skirmishes there. Uh, you know, they could indeed become involved. Um, Iran potentially could become involved. Um, that could precipitate, you know, response from the United States of America. So it's, it's a very dangerous situation at the moment. And what can we do to stop that? I mean, I think we just need to, difficult, obviously, because we haven't got the hands on levers of power, but we just need to grow the, the resistance to it. Um, we need to grow the opposition to it through these marches, through the uh, pressure that we have to bring to bear on the political leaders to um, demand that wiser heads must prevail. Uh, and, uh, you know, I hope and pray that that will, that will bring about the, the sort of calmer situation that, 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 that we are desperately need. And, of course, what we're seeing as well, which I've already mentioned, that a number of countries, you know, outside the Western world are withdrawing uh, diplomatic relations uh, with with Israel and uh, let's just hope that uh, you know the pressure that's that's building within these countries um, and, and what we're seeing elsewhere in the world will will prevent any you know, uh, escalation being um, brought about as a result of uh, you know the Western powers getting involved but uh, the chances of uh, wider configuration that are occurring are still very high, it seems to me. Iran has clearly been a target of, of uh, uh, Western policy for quite a long time now. Do you see there's a danger of, of uh, people using this as an excuse? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, absolutely. They, they've certainly uh, been pushing. I mean, Iran is probably the most uh, um, sanctioned country in the world, but it's found ways of, of getting around that, and it's it's thrive despite the uh, efforts of the United States of America and the West to uh, to crush it. Um, it's now joined in the BRICS and that, you know, we, we are 
moving towards a multipolar world now, aren't we? And, uh, you know, Iran is, is, is a significant uh, player. You know, I hope that, uh, you know, the United States won't risk a war with Iran because, you know, this, this could be really uh, devastating. And, you know, as I said, have, have much, much wider implications. Um, but yes, they're definitely, you know, they're definitely uh, looking to, or some of the hawks anyway, looking for an excuse to, to mount, um, uh, you know, an attack on. On Iran, but uh, it obviously will. I mean, not, thankfully, nothing is, is of that magnitude has, has occurred yet. And um, you know, we just can. All we can do is what we, you know, have been trying to do in terms of raising political consciousness, bringing pressure on the politicians. You know, pushing back against the mainstream n- narrative in the media. And, and you know, we are succeeding on on, on that front anyway. Uh, you know, despite the best endeavours of the of the uh, corporate media to spin a yarn uh, the people are not being convinced by it and uh, we have an election next year in in britain and you know there's a potential that there may be some breakthroughs and we you know we get people some people elected anyway who you know with a genuine sort of anti-imperialist to pro-peace um stance that would have that political platform to push that uh, agenda but it's very dangerous times there's no doubt about that uh you know we've got uh, sociopaths who regrettably have you know, are in the ascendancy in the political past, but at least uh, a sensible step has been taken in sacking uh, Suella Braverman for her, you know, uh, dangerous speak talk that she's been engaged in. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's perhaps a, a hopeful sign that uh, Britain at least will, uh, you know, not go where some of the hawks would like to see us going. Okay, and uh, just finally, then, Chris, uh, I'm just would be interested to get your thoughts on uh, how um, or what kind of message needs to go out to, to the people that are uh, absolutely uh, determined that Israel has the right to defend itself, no matter how that right is expressed. Um, how, how, what, what can be said to, to people with that viewpoint uh, to convince them to uh, join the call for a ceasefire? Well, you know, in the words of John Lennon, give peace a chance and um, this isn't self-defense this is genocide you know what uh, they're doing in gaza what they're doing in the in the west bank is, is is totally unjustified and certainly not justified by the reality of what happened on the ground on october the 7th uh, which yeah, a number of the survivors have, have given eyewitness accounts of, of the reality there so this is a totally disproportionate response it's an unsustainable response it's an immoral uh, response, uh, uh, you know, the right to self-defense does not give Israel the right to murder children in their thousands, to to attack hospitals, schools, bakeries, to cut off water, to cut off energy and food. I mean, this is a medieval siege situation that we are witnessing. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's not self-defense. Uh, that is... And that is, as we keep saying, that is genocide, and that is utterly unjustifiable, and is in a million miles from self-defence. Chris Williamson, thank you very much for joining us today. Is there anything else you would like to to add, just to end? No, I mean just to encourage people to uh, you know join in the uh, the calls on our politicians to uh, put pressure on on Israel, uh, join the the marches uh, calling for for peace and the ceasefire, and. Um, 
you know, use the opportunity. Most MPs uh, have regular surgeries. Go and see your member of parliament and express your horror about what is happening and, and demand that they, you know, stand up for peace. They, they stand up for the interest of, of, of Great Britain. Because it's certainly not in the interest of Great Britain for this situation to continue, because as we've just said, it could result in the potentiality of a third world war. Uh, and that's obviously in nobody's interest. And uh, the last thing we want to see in this country, you know, is war being brought to our shore. So, you know, I think this this is, uh, you know, an urgent an urgent situation that, that uh, you know, people use their effort to uh, use their democratic rights to, you know, pressurise our politicians to do the right thing. Chris Williamson, thank you very much for joining me today. Um, we'll hope to speak again soon. Thank you.